We'll hear argument first this morning in case 06-11429, Burgess versus United States. Mr. Fisher. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The rule of lenity requires that any penal statute the government seeks to enforce against an individual must clearly and unambiguously apply to him. And as the government acknowledges in its brief in this case, this Court has applied the rule of lenity in numerous recent cases involving mandatory sentencing provisions. A reaffirmation of that time-honored principle is all that is necessary to decide this case. The 20-year mandatory — Time-honored since Granderson? Was that the first time we did it? Well, the rule of lenity has been on (laughs) — As to sentences. As to to sentencing? Uh, No, in the mid-20th century, Justice Kennedy, in uh, the Bell decision written by Justice uh, Frankfurter uh, and in Ladner, both involved the degree of punishment to which a defendant would receive. Uh, There are other cases in, in 1980. Uh, the Simpson case and Bifolco around the same time. So there, this Court has a history of applying the rule of lenity with equal force to sentencing provisions as it does to uh, st- statutes demarcating criminal conduct or not. And, of course, as the Green Brief especially highlights, the very essence and the core of the rule of lenity derives from the English common law, uh, which, is, which was designed to invoke the rule of lenity to avoid mandatory punishment, not Uh, not so much whether conduct was criminal uh, or not. Uh, So we think that applying that rule in a straightforward manner to this case requires a reversal. The 20-year mandatory minimum in Section 841B1A applies only to defendants who have a prior conviction for a, quote, felony drug offense. Now, a sensible reading of that provision is that a state law misdemeanor simply does not constitute a felony drug offense. Well, the the rule of lenity depends upon, of course, some ambiguity in the term. The definition says felony drug offense means an offense that is punishable by imprisonment for more than one year. It doesn't say anything about state classification. Well, that's right, Mr. Chief Justice. And if that's all you had in the statute books, this might be an easier case. But as you know, I think, above Section 44 and Section 13, the term felony is described and defined as a crime that is classified as a felony under federal or state law. And so when you start with Section 841B1A, which uses the term felony drug offense, and you go to the definitional section, the first thing you come to is the definition of felony, which says a crime classified as such. And then, as you say, in Section 44, you reach another definition. So we think that, at the very least, you have an ambiguity here uh, in which Congress has given two facially applicable definitions to the operative provision of the statute. Well, obviously, one is a definition of felony, and the other is a definition of felony drug offense, and the term is at issue here is felony drug offense. Well, in a sense, we, it's our position that both are at issue here. The term felony, which is within the term felony drug offense, is also at issue here. And as we've pointed out in pages 11, 12, 11 and 12 of our yellow brief, it's not uncommon for Congress to have two separate definitions, one of which is a single term within a broader term in a statute. And so the mere fact is the government would argue that the word felony is not repeated in the definition of, sec- of subsection 44 does not mean that Congress meant that to be the sole definition. Uh, we've given three examples in pages 11 and 12 where uh, the sensible reading of the statute is that Congress inte- attempted to nest the definition of a single term within the definition of a broader term. Could I, could I ask you what you think Congress might have been trying to do with the 1994 um, amendment uh, under, uh, under your reading? Before 1994, the offense had to be classified as a felony. Then they added 
the, this definition of felony drug offense. And as I understand it, your reading is that now the offense must be classified as a felony and it must be punishable by more than in, by imprisonment for more than a year. What would be the reason for adding this new requirement, as you see it, that it be punishable by more than a year if there were not offenses that were classified by states as felonies but were punishable by less than a year? I can't see the point unless the point was to rule those out. And you haven't cited any uh, state statute in your brief that involved an offense that was classified as a felony and was punishable by less than a year. You, you cited a couple that were punishable by exactly a year, not more than a year, but exactly a year. So is it your, your theory that the reason for adding this new language was to make it clear that those offenses where the maximum was 12 months as opposed to 12 months in a day would not be counted? Well, I think there's an agreement between us and the government on this point. We cite in our blue brief statutes from Arizona uh, as well as a couple of other states where there are crimes that are classified as felony but punishable by less than a year. Uh, and in those cases, we agree with the government that that is the effect of the 1994 conforming amendments, is to exclude those outlier states that take low-level crimes and nonetheless classify them as felonies. What this case is about — But if I could sense, just come back to that, I looked at those — you cite uh, Ohio, North Carolina, and Arizona, and those are all punishable by — they all have a maximum term of 12 months, not less than — so the difference is between — 12 months and 12 months in a day? Well, that's, that works on the, on, on the language of the statute, uh, Justice Alito. But is it plausible? That's, what, that's the reason why Congress added this language? They, they, didn't want to, they wanted to make sure that these felonies that were punishable by just 12 months would not be counted? Well, I think it is quite plausible that the language that Congress added had very little practical effect. And, th and, and that flows from the fact that Congress called these nothing more than conforming amendments. So Congress apparently wasn't trying to accomplish any dramatic change here. And I think it might help to understand, look, by looking at the other kind of outlier states that the government claims got swept in with the 1994 amendment. Uh, we cite uh, statutes from states like Colorado. Uh, perhaps if I used a concrete example, take possession of a single ounce of marijuana. Uh, that is one of the crimes in Arizona that we were just talking about that is a felony punishable by no more than a year. Uh, there are a few other states who are outliers in a different sense, uh, in which they call these crimes misdemeanors like the vast majority of states, but make them punishable by 18 months or more. And so what the government's position is, is that in 1994, when Congress was passing conforming amendments to exclude a couple of outlier states like Arizona, it was trying to sweep in for the first time into Section 841B1A outlier states like Colorado uh, that treat low-level drug crimes, low-level drug possession crimes as misdemeanors that are punishable by more than a year. So we think, for the very reasons the government explains, uh, that Congress is trying to avoid uh, disuniformity and happenstance according to how a few local jurisdictions might treat certain drug crimes, that it makes sense to, re to read the 94 conforming amendments as requiring both the one-year uh, punishment rule and the felony classification requirement. Uh, and if you have any doubt on that, we submit it really makes sense to remember that what we're talking about here is a mandatory minimum. Uh, what would so you do with, with someone who was convicted, had a prior conviction of, uh, for importing ten tons of heroin in New Jersey, for example, where there are no felonies. What would you do with that? 
a very serious drug offense in a state that doesn't use the term felony at all, or a foreign conviction. Well, we've cited a case in our brief in the Second Circuit that deals with that exact problem, at least with the New Jersey problem. Uh, and what the courts did, uh, and what they've done in other circumstances where there's a felony classification requirement, is they simply take the crime in New Jersey and analogize it to a comparable federal or local state crime. And if it, was cla- if it would be classified as a felony in that local jurisdiction, then courts, and this is even before the 1994 amendments, but what courts they did, that what they did in the Second Circuit case was to say this is punishable this offense is punishable by more than a year in New Jersey, and therefore it's a felony. I believe, uh, Justice Alito, this was a case before 1994, so that — I know, and that's how they analogized it to a felony. Right, because that is the federal definition of a felony, and so that was the analogy that the Second Circuit was able to draw here uh, and reach what we think is is a common-sense way to deal with the unusual problem of New Jersey. Uh, Another — You say there are other examples where — a, 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 a noun that is nested in another definition is separately defined and, uh, and the two are read together. Uh, how, are, how are those phrased? I mean, I, I could understand what you say if this provision here read the term felony drug offense means a felony that is punishable by imprisonment for, for more than one year. Then I'd go back to the felony definition for what a felony means, but it doesn't repeat the felony. The term felony drug offense means an offense that is punishable by imprisonment. For do, do any of the examples of, of nesting that you uh, that you bring forward read this way? All three of them do, Justice Scalia. Which ones are they? Where, uh, where there are, are pages they? 11 and 12 of the yellow brief. Uh, and so the first place to start is looking at the bottom of page 11, uh, where the term employee is defined in one provision of the federal uh, of the federal statutory code, and then the terms employee of the Capitol Police, employee of the House of Representatives, are also defined, and they're defined. And these in those broader definitions are in the footnote at the bottom of page 12. And so you'll see that there, after having defined the term employee, the word employee is not repeated in those definitions. Uh, they talk about a member or an officer uh, or an individual. And so it's much like the circumstance here where a more generic term is used in the broader definition, uh, but it makes sense to read in the original definition. Uh, the same thing I think you can see in the middle of page 12 uh, with, the, with the part of the bankruptcy code that we've given this Court. Uh, the word debtor is defined uh, in a certain way, and then in, later on in the definitional provision the term Debtor's principal residence is defined as a residential structure in such and such. Again, the word debtor is not repeated in the broader definition, but we think the only way to make sense of it is to import the definition of the single term into the broader term. If Congress had well, wanted just on, that, just on that last one, are you saying that if it, if it doesn't say debtor's residential structure, you'd think it was somebody else's residential structure? Well, I don't understand the point. Well, there might be a you know, a very rigid plain text argument that might be made. The point is, is that Congress uh, defined the term debtor's principal residence without using the term debtor again and defined it somewhere else. Well, in a a provision of the bankruptcy code that deals with debtors, and and I I don't think there's any question about whose residential structure they would be talking about, even though they don't uh, repeat debtor, strikes me as, as quite different than the provision we have before us today. Well, then I think I'd refer you back to the 
employee example. I mean, no example is going to be exactly on all fours. I'm, I'm happy to acknowledge that. Uh, the, the idea that I'm trying to get across is it's not unusual for Congress to define single terms that are nested within larger terms. And also, in better example, it, it, uh, it doesn't quite work because uh, it does not supersede the term debtor that was used earlier in the government submission, at least in this case. Uh, felony uh, uh, or, or drug, drug offense uh, supersedes the earlier provision in Section 13. I think that's right. And I think one way but to understand — It seems to me they're not comfortable in that sense. Okay. I think one way to understand how this statute, if Congress had wanted to do what the government says it wanted to do, how Congress could have made it absolutely clear, while we have the yellow brief open, we can look at page 13. May I ask you a question before going on with this line? You say that both the 802.13 definition has to be satisfied and the 44 definition, right? But was 802.13 ever applicable? to this situation, what was the law prior to the 1994 amendment? There was a section, wasn't there, that defined felony drug offense? For for a time, yes, uh, Justice Ginsburg, but so when the statute was originally passed, 802.13 was the sole definition of felony. And then somewhere along the line between the original enactment and the 94 amendments, uh, a definition of felony drug offense was put into 841B1A, but that itself just used the word felony, which again referred the reader back to 802.13. So again, I think it's an agreement between. Uh, Would you you take a look at that provision that was in 841B1? Because it, it seems that it would be duplicative of 802.13. Are, are you looking, Justice Ginsburg, at the 1988 version of the statute? Yes. Uh, no, because where, — Where would we find that? Oh, this is at 13A of the blue brief, Justice Scalia. Mm-hmm. So in, in page 13A, it says, for purposes of this subparagraph, the term felony drug offense means an offense that is a felony under any provision of this subchapter under any federal law. Now, the word felony, again, would have referred the reader back to 802.13. If, I'm, but if read, I understand. Read the end of it, read on, which says, or a felony under any law of a state or foreign country, etc. Right. I, but I think, again, the word felony as it appears in, a, in, in, in that provision, and I think that the government agrees with us on this, would have referred the reader back to 802.13 as of 1988, well, because there isn't the explicit classification requirement. But it defines what the felony is, a felony under any law of a state or foreign country that prohibits or restricts conduct relating to narcotic drugs, marijuana, etc. Well, I think the latter language, just as is defining drug offense, uh, whereas the word felony, I think, is not a self-defining term in that statute as it's written. And to f- understand whether we're talking about something like a one-year rule or a classification requirement, the reader needs to go back to the definitional section. Well, I, I don't think the, the definitional section contradicts, contradicts what's in the B1A. Yeah. As of 1988? Yeah. 
It contradicts I, it because the, the, the felony definition is uh, classified as a felony by federal or state law. Well, it says a felony under the law of a state. So I think the classification requirement, I don't think it's inconsistent with it. It well, might clarify. It says under any provision of this subchapter or any other federal law that prohibits or restricts. And then in the, in the last part, under any law of a of state, it picks up state or a foreign country. Foreign country is not included in 802.13. That's right, Justice. So you have to say that there, felony stands on its own, right? Well, I, I guess you could, but then you wouldn't have a definition. Then you'd have to figure out how to define felony, whether it was a classification or a one-year rule or something else. I think the natural reading, again, would be a classification requirement to the extent to which uh, you couldn't look further than that provision of the statute. Uh, but one thing is the following true, that, that if you are right, the reason Congress passed this new definition was it wanted to take those handful of states which have felonies as a year, the ones Justice Alito was talking about, and make clear that they're not covered. Yes. All right. But if the government's right, then the reason Congress did this is that it recognized what I think is the truth, that felonies and misdemeanors are fine defined differently uh, in many different ways under the laws of many different states, and in a matter where so much prison time turned on it, wished to create a single uniform definition. Now, if that's right, I'm asking myself, which is a more plausible purpose? Well, we don't disagree with the government that the one-year rule does serve the purpose of helping iron out. No, it doesn't. Because if you're right, then you first have to look to the patchwork quilt of laws in all the different states to see whether those different states define the conduct as misdemeanors or felonies. And then having solved the patchwork problem, we add on the requirement of one year. And so the bite of the new definition would be what Justice Alito said and nothing else. Now, that's, and yet on the government's interpretation, the bite is to create a single, readily applied, uniform rule. I, if I ask myself which is those are most plausible, I hate to tell you which answer I get. Well, I think, Justice Breyer, with due respect, if you look at the way different states treat drug crime. Am I right? Am I right? I mean, I, I put that out to give you a chance. That's to what say, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I am right. That's what I'm trying to respond. The different states treat drug crime dramatically different. And this is so, I think it's common sense that states treat different crimes, uh, different states punish the same crime differently. And that's nowhere more true than in drug crime, because there's a great amount of experimentation uh, that goes on in the states. And one of the things that certain states do, like Colorado, is take very low-level drug crimes and punish them by more than a year, in part so they can give treatment and keep people in in prison long enough to have treatment take hold, whereas some other states treat drug crime very differently. So you have a patchwork whether you look to the classification or whether you look to the one-year rule. That's why we think it makes sense to, to use both. Now, if Congress had wanted to do what the government is suggesting, which is have the one-year rule be the sole and exclusive way of determining whether you have a felony before you, uh, it could have very easily said so. And there's an example, and this is, a, this is at page 13 of the yellow brief, of what 
of what the federal sentencing guidelines do. They define in the career offender provision, uh, there's a definition of felony there that is quite explicit. I say felony, uh, a felony is, a ter- is, a, is an offense punishable by more than a year regardless of whether such an offense is specifically designated as a felony. Uh, so there are other provisions where Congress uh, could have looked and it would have been well aware of how to make absolutely plain what it was trying to accomplish in this statute. Now, we don't think that the government's reading is implausible. Uh, Justice Breyer, for the reasons Mr. you said. Mr. Bishop, may I just go back to what you quoted? Are you quoting, you're quoting a sentencing guideline, right? Yes. Not, not a statute. Yes, I'm quoting the sentencing guideline, although in the Armed Career Criminal Act, you can find another place where Congress dealt with this problem explicitly. It said that felonies are crimes punishable in more than a year. However, if a state classifies the crime as a misdemeanor, it has to be punishable by more than two years. And, and you, think, you think it would mean something different if you just left out the regardless of clause? Well, Justice Scalia, with the problem — Prior adult federal or state conviction for an offense punishable by death or imprisonment for a term exceeding one year. You think it means something different without the regardless? Not necessarily, but leaving that Not at all. Not not possibly. Well, what our position is, Justice Scalia, standing alone, I will grant you, but the problem, as we see it in this case, is that that is left out in a very common problem, how to define a felony. They leave out that explicit — statement of whether classification is important. And, and what is more, in the same definitional I, I would say that regardless clause is extraordinary. And I would not want to have to deal with such prolix statutes on a regular basis. Well, I, th- <laughs> I think there's a good reason why Congress put it in, and that's because it is a continually vexing problem how to define what is a felony. That's why Congress did it explicitly in the Armed Career Criminal Act. That's why the sentencing guidelines are explicit here. And leaving that out against the backdrop of a statute where the classification rule was the controlling rule for over a decade and where they leave that classification rule in the very same definitional provision of the statute, we think gives rise to an ambiguity. If if it's such a vexing problem, why would Congress have incorporated the problem into the definition of felony drug offense? Well, I'm — I'm not sure I follow the question. Well, you seem to suggest that it's a vexing problem that felony is defined differently Mm -hmm. in different states. And yet you say that the term felony, which relies on how it's defined by different states, was incorporated in the felony drug offense, which seems to have a quite clear definition of punishable by more than one year. If they don't want to repeat the problem that felony is defined differently in different states, they would not do what you're suggesting, which is incorporated wholesale into the, the latter definition. Well, well, with all due respect, what Congress did is they left 802.13 on the books, which does turn on classifications. And it's not, even though it is, it, is a, it is something of a patchwork, it is not unusual or at all to have very serious consequences turn on whether something is classified as but a felony. But, of course, they had to leave it on the books because they need a definition of felony. The felony has to be defined in, in many places. But this is a definition of felony drug offense. So, well, again, Justice Ginsburg, I think that is right, but then what Congress could have done is use the language that the federal sentencing guidelines use or something comparable to make clear its intent. Uh, And the classification of a felony or not a felony, as this Court knows, has a time-honored import. Things like the right to vote, the right to bear arms, the right to various civil rights, 
turn on whether somebody's been convicted of a felony or a misdemeanor. And again, this brings us, in a sense, back to the rule of lenity, uh, because one of the principal reasons for the rule of lenity is fair notice. Now, this Court, as early as the McBoyle decision, recognized that we're dealing with something of a fiction when we imagine an offender looking at the statutory books to decide whether uh, certain conduct is prohibited or not. Uh, But in the context of recidivist enhancements that lead to mandatory minimums, uh, we're talking about very real and serious notice problems. Imagine the conscientious public defender advising someone like Mr. Burgess as to whether he should plead guilty to a misdemeanor or a felony. this happens in states across the country that have three strikes provisions that, uh, that have very serious immigration consequences turning on felony or misdemeanor. That lawyer might have concluded, as the District uh, of Columbia uh, Circuit did, uh, that pleading to a misdemeanor here would not expose Mr. Burgess in the event he was convicted of a later crime uh, to such a serious punishment as the 20-year mandatory minimum in this case. Can you tell me what, what happened in South Carolina? Uh, uh, could he, on those facts, and under the charges, have been sentenced to more than a year? It was just that the judge gave him less than a year? Mr. Burgess's crime, uh, possession of cocaine, was punishable by up to two years. Yeah. So, yes, he received a sentence far less than that. He, then, was, he, was, uh, he himself was eligible for the... Yes. For, for, so the crime to which he pled guilty was punishable by two years. But you should understand that that kind of a hypothetical punishable by problem is one I know this court dealt with a couple of months ago in the Rodriguez case, and you should understand that not just would Congress, under the government's view, have been looking to sweep in outlier states like Colorado, but if the government prevails in the Rodriguez case where the term punishable by turns on recidivist enhancements, then the 94 amendments, which were termed conforming amendments, have an even far far more sweeping effect uh, and bring in lots of state law misdemeanors that were never covered by the prior Act. If there are no more questions, I'll reserve my time. Just one. You said that in most states what Burgess did, his crime, simple possession, uh, would not encounter a sentence of upward of one year. Did you do a survey? Is it, did you document that in your brief? No, what I said earlier, Justice Ginsburg, giving the example of possession of one ounce of marijuana, that the vast majority of states punish that as a misdemeanor by less than a year. Mr. Burgess's crime was a, fe- was a misdemeanor punishable by less than a year under federal law, uh, but different states treat that crime differently. And I think uh, a majority of those, a majority of states would treat that as a crime punishable by more than a year and classified as a felony. There are no Thank you, questions. counsel. Mr. Harsky. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, Congress answered the question presented in this case when it adopted an express definition for felony drug offense. Under that definition, felony drug offense means an offense punishable by more than one year of imprisonment under certain state, federal, or foreign drug laws. There is no textual basis for going beyond that definition to also require that an offense be classified as a felony. The enhancement trigger in the sentence enhancement provision is a felony drug offense, and the way that the definition works is that you take the definition Congress provided for felony drug offense. Is uh, drug a nested term in that? It doesn't really define drug. Do they look somewhere else for that definition? 
Well, the, the term felony drug offense, the drug component, we understand to be the component that says an offense that uh, prohibits, under a law that prohibits or restricts conduct related to narcotic drugs, marijuana, anabolic steroids. Is there, a place you would, is there a place you would look if you didn't know what they meant by drug, if an issue arose, whether, some, you know, a, a natural uh, narcotic, I mean, is that a drug or not? There is a definition of drug at the beginning of the Controlled Substances Act in Section 802. It refers back to the general definition of drug, I believe, in Section 321 of the Controlled of So the, that, that is nested in this definition of felony drug offense? The, the term felony drug offense has only the meaning that Congress gave to it. In the, in the words, it shows that it be punishable by more than one year under state, federal, or foreign law relating to those particular drugs. In fact, the question that you asked shows why petitioners' reading of the statute cannot be correct that you can't use both the definition of felony drug offense that Congress provided and try to import in separate definitions for felony and separate definitions for drug. Because the definition of drug in the Controlled Substances Act is very broad and applies to many different kinds of drugs, where the definition of felony drug offense only refers to offenses that involve narcotic drugs, anabolic steroids, marijuana, or depressant or simulant substances. In the same way, this shows why petitioner cannot be correct that the definition of felony also must be brought into felony drug offense, because Congress chose that the measure of seriousness in felony drug offense is an offense punishable by more than one year, and it actually took out of the statute the measure of seriousness, which is classification as a felony. So to bring that requirement back in would undo the change that Congress made in 1994. That's the language, Justice Ginsburg, that we were looking at um, at the bottom, at the back of the, the blue brief. In 1988, it said felony drug offense means an offense which is a felony. And that language was taken out, and Congress replaced it with this new language, which says punishable by more than one year of imprisonment. What do you do with uh, your friend's argument that the classification or the, the term more than one year or less than year, one year doesn't always have to do with how serious they view the offense, but they may impose a sentence of more than one year to allow time for a rehabilitation program? Congress chose the words that it did, punishable by more than one year, because it believed it to be a good measure of seriousness. This Court has recognized in cases like Blanton versus City of North Las Vegas that the term of imprisonment that a legislature chooses is a a good measure of the seriousness of the offense. There may be offenses that a state classifies as more or less serious based on punishment, but Congress wanted to do its best to get uniformity in provision, so in this provision. So what it did here was to take out this requirement that would look to varying state and foreign laws and instead have one that was just based on term of imprisonment. And actually this this raises a, a very serious problem with petitioners' reading of the statute, which is with respect to foreign offenses. The felony drug offense definition allows an enhancement based on state federal or foreign offenses, and the definition of felony, unadorned and standing by itself, doesn't refer to foreign offenses at all, which means that there's a serious ambiguity if both applied as to what would be done in the case of trying to enhance based on a foreign offense. Well, I suppose it might for countries that use that classification for common law countries. There are countries that do use the felony misdemeanor distinction. There are some that do not. But we understand in 1994 the, Congress cha- the change Congress made to be one that eliminates those kinds of ambiguities. And certainly if Congress had thought in 1994 that both the separate definition of felony and the definition of felony drug offense mattered, that it would have placed foreign offenses in the definition of felony, and it didn't do that here. 
the, 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 um, the information we have in the brief says that there are two states that have dropped the, those labels. Are there more than New Jersey and Maine? New Jersey and Maine are the only ones that I'm aware of. Certainly, as, as this Court discussed in some previous questions, there may be ways in which courts could try to work around ambiguities that, for example, existed in the statute 1990, prior to 1994 to figure out how offenses in New Jersey should be treated. But the fact that Congress made the change in 1994 to pick clear language that would just turn on term of, uh, the authorized term of imprisonment shows that, that that's what should be used, that choice should be given effect. The fact that courts might be able to deal with an ambiguous statute certainly does not give license to create one where it doesn't otherwise exist. There's an example that Petitioner raised, which is how violent felonies are treated in the Armed Career Criminal Act. And I think that that's, that illustrates how Congress could have done what Petitioner wanted if, if that was, in fact, its intent. Um, in the ACA, a violent felony, which could be the basis for a sentence enhancement, is defined as uh, various violent offenses that are punishable by imprisonment exceeding one year. But then Congress specifically decided that it wanted to exempt state misdemeanor offenses that it didn't consider serious enough to qualify as violent felonies. So it exempted state offenses that are classified as misdemeanors and punishable by less than two years. And we think that the Congress's treatment in the ACA exempting specific state offenses shows that if Congress had wanted to exempt offenses classified as misdemeanors in the way that petitioners suggest that it would have done so in that way. Congress chose a meaning here for felony drug offense, and we think that it needs to be given effect. Could you tell us just a little bit about the rule of lenity? You want us to apply sort of a watered-down discount rule of lenity in sentencing cases? Uh, and do you have authority for that? The government's After we, we said in Granderson, the rule of lenity applies without qualifying or modifying it anyway. The government's position is that the rule of lenity operates in the same manner in both the uh, defining the offense context and in the sentencing context. The point that we were making in our brief is that the purposes behind the rule of lenity are really implicated to a lesser extent when we're talking about sentencing, and particularly with respect to mandatory minimums, because there's not a question about whether the offense conduct at issue is illegal, and there's not a question about the maximum offense, uh, the maximum term of imprisonment that the person could be subject to. So our, our brief should be best understood as a response to petitioner's extensive historical discussion of the rule of lenity and a suggestion that it applies with even more vigor in the context of mandatory minimums. We don't think that that's the case, but at the same time, we're not suggesting that there's a, a new different rule of lenity in this context. And, and again, we don't see this as a rule of lenity case. Congress picked a particular definition and it used those terms, felon, that term, felony drug offense, to trigger each of the sentence enhancement provisions here. We don't think there's any reason to look beyond it. The Court has no further questions. Government submits the judgment below should be affirmed. Thank you, Ms. Saharsky. Uh, Mr. Fisher, you have four minutes. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. If I might pick up where Justice Kennedy left off with the rule of lenity, uh, because we don't want this Court to lose sight of the importance of the rule of lenity in this case. Uh, it's not our position that the government's reading is unreasonable. It is simply our position that our reading of the statute is a possible one and that Congress may have been — Well, but there has to be a real ambiguity. I mean, if there's a plausible, defendant-friendly interpretation, that doesn't trigger the rule of lenity, does it, or does it? I, I think, Justice Kennedy, uh, a fair way to ask yourself the question is, would the, would the statute here — 
rise to the level of a plain statement of the kind that is required to, for example, abrogate sovereign immunity or to realign the federal-state balance. The term clear statement and clear and definite statement that is used in the historical context. How, how many statutes exist like that? My goodness. You want the government to be held in all criminal statutes to a statement that, that is clear enough to satisfy the, the clear statement? Well, with due respect, Justice Scalia, that's what the historical cases say. That's and what some the of rule this, of lenity means. Yes, with all due respect. And if you look at the examples in Blackstone, that the Green Brief cites. If you look at this Court's earliest cases, Chief Justice Marshall wrote for the Court in Wilterberger that even though it's extremely improbable that Congress wanted the result uh, that the defendant presses, the Court is nevertheless going to insist on it because it is not unambiguously clear this was Congress's intent. And so it's easy to forget, given the modern proliferation of federal criminal statutes, how rare criminal cases used to be in this Court. Do our cases uh, reflect what you're saying? I thought our cases on the rule of lenity say that where there's an ambiguity, you you give uh, the tie to the defendant. Well, I think this is very important, Justice Scalia. Your cases, especially the historical cases and the modern ones, I get, I, I, I think, waffle in different directions. But there are plenty of cases from this Court that are much more than a tiebreaker in the sense of the rule of lenity and say we require clear and definite terms. That's the phrase Justice Frankfurter used to repeat. Uh, Justice Holmes said the statute must be clear. Uh, even up to Granderston, it says but again, the government. That, that was in a context where the question was whether or not the conduct was criminal at all, not sentencing. That's right, but and for the reason we — if you a clear statement rule to the, to the sentencing code, uh, I, I, I don't think we're going to be able to get beyond the second sentence. Well, I think with due respect to what you're going to do is actually reduce the number of cases this Court hears, because once you have a clear statement rule, two things are going to happen. The lower courts are going to have, find it more — uh, easier to resolve these kinds of cases because, just like in the sovereign immunity and federalism context, it's much easier to look for a clear statement. And even more importantly, Congress will know that when it legislates it in the realm of criminal sentencing, that it needs to be clear, and it will solve this case, this Court, the problem, perhaps, of having four or five cases on its docket every term involving circuit splits and how to apply mandatory minimums in the vast labyrinth of federal criminal sentencing provisions. Uh, so we think... This Court can rest assured, of course, that if it rules for the petitioner in this case and Congress doesn't like the result, that is well and able, to, uh, ready to step in to solve that problem. Uh, the problem is, is that if this Court accepts broad readings of the government from the government of criminal statutes, that the institutional forces that drive legislation are, make it much less likely that Congress can step in to solve that problem in favor of criminal defendants. Uh, so for the reasons we've explained, we think this Court should go back to the historical understanding brought forward to the present of the importance of the rule of lenity and in this case find that the statute does not clearly and unambiguously apply to petitioner. If there are no further questions, I'll submit the case. Thank you, Mr. Fisher. The case is submitted.